everybody. Hello. Aren't you loving this June weather? Yes, yes, yes. Which is, it is such perfect June weather. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah let, 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 let's cut to the chase. We're recording this in April. Um, we are. <laughs> welcome to the first in a series of casts that are going to be recorded for the film room. Um, a series of banked casts. We're going to try and give you guys no interruption whatsoever uh, as Lola Fay arrives. And so this cast is kicking that off. And don't worry, I'll have her on here as a special guest. In fact, her bassinet is going to be located right directly uh, beside uh, where I record. So it's going to work out great. Nice. <laughs> we are going, But today we are going to be kind of returning to something we've abandoned previously. We announced a few weeks ago that, yes, we are abandoning uh, Nostalgia. We decided that it was just too much time and effort uh, for too little reward. But we did commit to going on ahead and continuing some of those films through the next uh you know through the end of 1996 we are going to try and look at a few uh films of that year uh we probably will not do the same for 1997 because we've already covered that year we have yeah that said we're still going to probably find one or two that we can talk about uh then um and then of course when when 98 and 99 roll around we're going to be back at yeah we've got a lot to say um but we're going to kick things off today with a look at the second highest grossing film of 1996 uh, what was the first? The first was one that we're going to be covering uh, during this period as well. Uh, in a couple of weeks, you can look for our cast on oh, Independence yeah. Day. That's right. Which, I'm just going to say right now, I like a whole hell of a lot more than the film that we're going to be covering today. The difference between these two films, one has endured, one has not. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? And so in these two casts, you're going to kind of see the difference. Uh, this week, we're looking at the number two film, Twister. and wow it's i was surprised to find out this was the second highest grossing film of that year because this movie has dropped off the radar about as quickly as it uh, as a movie can drop off yeah this is the definition of what we look for when we're studying quote-unquote no nostalgia yeah it's like look i remember i remember this film and just the uh it was a cultural lexicon at the time but that's about it. Like, it doesn't really go any further than that. The only thing people seem to remember about this movie is the cow. The fucking cow. Which looks like garbage today, frankly. Yeah, um, this is a movie that holds a very special place in my history. Uh, this was the, uh, for those who are unaware, uh, I, I run a group uh, dedicated to theater history in Arkansas. And the holy grail of those theaters, you know, like the one that everyone seems to view as the greatest prize theater in Little Rock, uh, was the Cinema 150, which was a theater with a floor-to-ceiling 150-degree screen. Now, obviously, it wasn't as tall as a regular theater. It was kind of like a dome Whoa. theater. Yeah. Nice. Like, it was only as tall, like, the, the auditorium was only as tall as, say, the dome. But it, it was a unique, very cool-style theater. Um, and I'm going to throw up some links to some photos. Um, it was a neat theater. And uh, so yeah. watching it, you felt... Watching it was very close to an IMAX experience because you felt very much like you were in there. Um, it closed in 2003, sadly, uh, and has now been demolished, which just breaks my heart. But this was the only th- movie that I ever got to see there. And it was, as I said, it was the crown jewel of Little Rock Cinemas for many years. Um, unfortunately, what killed it was just the area around it uh, fell apart. This movie was also the first movie that I purchased the screenplay to. <laughs> because the screenplay was put out in print. 
uh, at least the original draft, not the actual one that wound up being used for the film. Right. And the result was that when I saw the movie, this was the first time that I understood just how much behind-the-scenes tinkering can go into a movie. Because the script that I read was pretty much gutted and left on... Like, there are elements of it that still stay in it. The basic structure is still there. The basic story is still there. The basic characters are still there. But so much was added on. So much bad dialogue. So much bad... Yeah. Let's just get this out. Uh, Let's just make this as clear as we can. This one has not held up. This is not a very good movie, to be perfectly blunt. No. I think this was my first time, like, the first time I saw this was on TV, and I forgot when that was. It was when I was in high school. Uh, So this is my first time actually watching it, like, in its original form. Yeah. It wasn't much better. (laughs) No, it's not. It's the kind of movie that's really kind of built to be shown on TV. Yeah. And uh, one thing I do want to get out of the way as far as, like, the content, it's like, okay, uh, I am terrified of tornadoes like if there's ever a like if a siren goes off like it's not a drill mm-hmm. heck even even if it is a drill it kind of gets my heart pounding a little just because yeah i grew up in uh tornado alley and i also have a very specific and vivid memory of watching the little mermaid during the storm scene like the scene where you know they're out at sea and uh, like just before I think Eric's ship gets shipwrecked, and then suddenly the the sirens go off, and we have to turn off the TV and go downstairs. It's like, oh fuck, that's terrifying. Yeah, it is. So anyway, yeah. So this movie could have had some staying power. Yeah, you know, if done right. I mean, and some of the and w- even watching it, some of those scenes are kind of terrifying. Yeah, some of them are. Uh, Jan de Bont, the director, undeniably knows how to shoot an action sequence. He knows how to shoot an action sequence very well. He has a, yeah. a good grasp of editing, a good grasp of flow. And I want to point out, by the way, the, the two of us both live in Tornado Alley. Um, yeah, we do. Where I live in Arkansas, major to- a major tornado taking out a city is something that happens, I would say, once every two to three years. That you'll have a major tornado event that will just obliterate a city. I don't yeah. mean that it will cause a, a you know a little bit of damage. I mean there are cities in our okay. There was a tornado that happened two years ago in uh, Little Rock or in uh, it was uh, Joplin. Oh no, not Joplin because uh, that's not Joplin. No, the one that I'm thinking of is uh, Mayflower, Mayflower, Arkansas. Yeah, I mean the tornado just. You and which is up the which is between Conway where my parents live and Little Rock where I live, and I've driven through it still to this day. Two years later, it's not completely rebuilt. Mm. So this is not something that I take lightly. This subject and this movie, yeah, yeah th- this movie it has some good scenes, but let's get into the backstory on how this movie got made, which kind of explains a lot of what we're about to start discussing. Uh, the uh, original pitch was like a 10-page outline that an aspiring screenwriter sold uh, to Amblin Entertainment uh, in 1992. Uh, Michael Crichton and his then-wife were hired to write the script for a whopping $2.5 million. Hmm. So they took this outline and this idea about a movie about storm chasers and wrote it for about $2.5 million. As I said, the script was 
The script, which I've read, is pretty strong. It's a lot less melodramatic than the final movie, but a lot of the flaws that we still don't like about it are still in it. The fiancé is still in it. That's the worst part of the film. Yes, it is. I have so much to say about her character. The fiancé, the rival team idea is still in there. The only thing that's really not in there is just the cheese, the the melodrama. Um, but uh, Crichton and his uh, then wife were kicked off the project, mostly because Crichton was pretty busy. And I mean, I I don't also because this was the '90s. It was the era of you put your script through sixty writers, which still happens to this day. Let's not kid ourselves. But it was really bad in the '90s. Um, what happened was a series of writers were were brought on to rewrite the script. Um, these writers include Jeff Nathanson, who wrote Catch Me If You Can, who would work, uh, through the, uh, he was on the onset production guy. Like, he was the onset rewriter who would punch things up. Uh, he was involved with most of the production. Uh, Steven Zalian came in to do, uh, a rewrite while the original rewriter was on, uh, hiatus because he was sick. And then there's the original rewriter, the guy who's generally credited with having done most of the polishes to get the stuff that we know as the final film in there. You know, the other guys were more punch-up guys. This was the guy that apparently did the ground-level rewriting. Dude, I hate, to, I hate to say this, but Joss Whedon was the guy that, unfortunately, we have to lay a lot of blame. He's even listed on the yeah. Wikipedia page as probably having deserved a credit on this script. Oh, man. Dude, I know Whedon can write some bad stuff. I've had to turn off one of his movies before. Yeah, which one? Yeah, in your eyes, which is just atrocious, just abysmal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so bad. And unfortunately, this has some of the same problems. Whedon was the guy who really, I near as I can tell, seems to have been the guy who came in and punched up a lot of the melodrama. Mm. Making the film was an absolute nightmare for everybody involved. My understanding is that uh, the fr- here's what happened. The movie went through three separate directors of photography. The original DP, uh, Don Burgess, quit because uh, he was uh, heavily clashing with DeBont. The second DP got injured when a uh, hydraulic failed. DeBont wound up having to step in for the last two days of principal photography. Yeah, the other guy was uh, Jack Green, who uh, has shot uh, the first Hunger Games and a bunch of Eastwood stuff. DeBont was an absolute nightmare to work with. He came on to the film after having originally signed on to do an uh, American Godzilla from uh, a very well-received script, uh, a script most people have considered much better than what got made, but not like that's hard. Uh, Apparently, this was DeBont's first movie after Speed. He came on. He was a total creep to everybody. He was... Apparently, an unbearable asshole to work with. Um, oh, jeez. Uh, actors got injured while making it. Um, at one point, uh, Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt got blinded by uh, lights that were un- improperly shielded. And, Ooh. yeah. Uh, yeah, there was so much wrong with this set. Oh, uh, let's see. There weren't enough overcast days, so the sky replacement work that ILM had to do was doubled. Oh, God. There were $20 million worth of reshoots. (laughs) Which, by the way, this was a $70 million movie, so it's not confirmed that there were that much, but it's reasonably certain to guess that there were, because most sources say, yeah, they had to do about $20 million worth of reshoots because there was too much sunny skies. And you can see that in the movie. There are so many shots where it's obviously sunny. 
Yeah, this is not, this is not a good movie on a technical level. I'm just going to say that, uh, and I'm sorry because I know that's what this film was heavily sold on. But there were countless scenes when I was watching the movie at twelve that I could tell. Oh, yeah, it's obviously not cloudy. Yeah. For the record, when there are tornadic conditions, the sky is almost completely dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes the light sensors will be fooled and the street lights will come on. So come on. Mm-hmm. Ugh. As I said, uh, the actors were blinded. Um, there was 20 million worth of reshoots. That's pretty much where I, my understanding is that's where the opening scene of the movie uh, came in. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was initially something that was just told and kept off screen, but they decided to shoot that sequence uh, at the last minute. Um, the movie's uh. release date was pushed up instead of uh, forward, instead of, uh, you know, instead of being moved to a later date so that they could maybe breathe a little bit. They pushed it up so they could have two weekends to get out of the way of Mission Impossible. Yeah. A franchise that I would like to remind everybody is still going. <laughs> yes. And by all accounts, is stronger than it ever has been. Uh, I've heard uh, Rogue Nation was apparently great. So you've got all this stuff. This movie was a, a debacle to make. However, it did wind up grossing a very impressive $240 million in the United States, which not only was that an impressive figure back in 1996, that's still a pretty good number. It is, yeah. That's yeah. That's about Avengers opening weekend now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for, a, but for an original property, that still feels pretty good. That is good, yeah. I, this, but but let's get into the movie itself. It's, yeah. Okay. The plot is very uh, thin. Very thin. Basically, uh, Bill Paxton plays Bill, of course, and he is now a he's a former tornado chaser, now newscaster, mm-hmm. and boo. he is. We, we have boo. to we have to boo every time somebody does something corporate. That's right. He sold the fuck out. Oh, man. Mm, boo. May we again for, refer to Pat Oswalt's brilliant uh, piece on selling out. But anyway, so he goes back to the beginning of the fi- like the beginning of the film after the opening sequence in which a little girl has her daddy taken away by an F five tornado. We catch to the present day where he and his new fiance are are after Helen Hunt, the now grown-up Helen Hunt, uh, who is chasing tornadoes, after divorce papers. I want to point something out uh, funny about that casting. The actress that played the little girl version was a Latina. Yes. I kid you not. And she grew up into a white woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually a very specific one. Uh, it was uh, Alexa Vega from the Spy Kids movies, actually. That was one, I think that was one of the first things she ever did, yeah. Yes, yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a, an interesting thing that I learned while working on this. So, go <laughs> yeah. figure. Go figure. That's all that I'm going to say, is go figure. So, Helen Hunt stalls. She obviously doesn't want the marriage to uh, to end just yet. We're never quite clear on what happened, because, whatever. Um, we Actually, I kind of felt like I understood it, because they didn't seem to get along at all in the movie. Yeah. They hate each other, more or less. So pretty much, yeah. So him and his fiance, Bill Paxton's fiance, are basically roped into this project. Oh yeah, and of course the the project that uh, Bill was working on before he left them has been made uh, has been made into a real thing. This thing that will 
you know, send thousands of little or hundreds of little sensors up into a tornado so they can measure it and like make a better warning system, which honestly, I don't know if I don't know if any of that makes any sense. Well, it has to. It's based on reality. Oh, is it really? Yeah, they've actually done stuff like this. I mean, this kind of project has been done. It's not been executed the way that this movie does it, but the idea that if you can understand a tornado from the inside and get a clearer picture of how the winds work, you can then start to look for an earlier sign of, okay, how are these winds going to come? That's real work. Uh, that There are a number of real projects that have actually done this that the movie is based on. Note that this is one of the last times that accurate science will ever come into the movie <laughs> and that the way that this stuff is... Uh, near is that they try to put it into the wind is not accurate in the least yeah but i but i gotta get ahead of myself there's too much about this movie that we have to pick apart yeah but i can i can see that because uh michael Crichton actually did put a lot of research into his books yeah uh to make like a fictional thing but uh a fictionalized account of this of yeah Anyway, so, yeah, then, and of course... It's the biggest series of storms in 12 years. One lined up right after another. NSSL says they've never seen anything like it. Is that right? At that point, uh, I was showing at the screen, oh, how convenient. Mm-hmm. How very convenient. This bears no resemblance to how tornadoes work in real life. No. This... I mean, here's the thing. Yes, storm chasers, who obviously that's a real thing, God... YouTube is filled with videos of it, and I've spent a good many hours watching them. I'm fascinated by it. They are real people. However, you don't have this many tornadoes in one season. Like, you don't have this many tornadoes in one cell. Especially not the number of tornadoes that you have, because many of these are very big, destructive tornadoes. This doesn't happen in real life. In reality, you might get one tornado at the strength that you'll see here, maybe a few much smaller ones. I mean, it's just this movie. But of course, you know, rule of Hollywood. Um, also, they seem to be over. Like, okay, if you were, if they had maybe like laid out a map and shown us that this was a much bigger area, because it almost feels like they're in the same county through all of this. It does, yeah. Like if they'd shown us a giant map, I could believe that maybe all of this was happening. If you'd shown us a giant yeah. map and given us a few days, like a few more days than this movie has, because it's said we're like, what, three or four days? Tops? It's a weekend. Right after the first one, they're like, well, you ready to chase the next one? Yeah, okay, it's right over here. It's like, fuck you. If it was right over there, you wouldn't have time to get to it, because that's another thing. If you do have that many in a situation, they tend to be simultaneous, more or less. Mm-hmm. So, it's just, no, no, this movie hurts my head. I, I know that meteorologists view this movie as a comedy, more or less. I bet. So, Bill and his fiance are roped into their storm chasing venture, uh, leaving the divorce papers kind of up in the air. Immediately, they run into their rival team, because there has to be a rival team. Yes, played by Carrie Ewells. I forgot he was in this. And my God, his southern accent is bad. I mean, his American accent oh. is usually pretty atrocious. This baby has satellite comlink. We got onboard Paul Stoppler. We got next rad real time. Today, we're going to make history. 
So stick around, because the days of sniffing the dirt are over. Usually British actors can at least manage a southern accent because they're actually a lot more similar and closely related than people understand. Uh, yeah. That, that's why uh, a lot of southerners are able to do good British accents and vice versa. His accent is atrocious here. It's just, it's bad. He's bad in the movie. And this entire character is stupid. Everything about this character is stupid. First of all, he's evil because he's corporate. Boo. That's right. Boo corporate. He's the one who got funding. He also stole their their idea for the censor thing. And, uh, which, by the way, is never really, like, other than the fact they both chase storms, that other machine may as fucking well not be in the movie. Yeah, they don't they don't ever get into, well, okay, how does their machine work? For all we know, their right. machine might actually be better. They might actually be closer to getting everything right. Uh, because they've got funding, they probably got better research. They probably got better materials. They're probably more likely to be in the better position to get this kind of thing going. Also, in reality, in reality, these characters wouldn't be rivals. None of this would actually no. happen in reality. No, they'd be working together. Mm -hmm. Also, in, in reality, Storm Chasers receive funding. If they don't receive funding, they're idiots who are probably going to get killed. <laughs> because yeah. you, you have to build, you know, your first of all, you have to get computer equipment that is exceptionally high, you know, state-of-the-art and mobile at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to get vans that are able to withstand tremendous amounts of wind. Uh, that's why a lot of them are frankly funded by places like the Weather Channel. Oh, and another thing. Most of them are trained meteorologists. Yeah. That's a big thing. Most of them are genuinely trained. And I, I mean, I think we're supposed to understand that these characters are trained meteorologists. Yeah. But that's not really underlined because we're supposed to view the other team as like representing everything that's... <sighs> you know what this movie is? It's filled with those idiotic baby boomer values uh, of people who can't accept that they've already sold out. So many 90s movies have this anti-corporate slant from people who have already gone deep in hock to corporations. And they can't accept that, so that's what their art does. Is it, you know, it's like, boo, blah, 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 oh, grow up. Yeah, these, these are coming out of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even have to explain the irony in that. This movie is as corporate as any product that was on the market in that year. So trying to have a, a free spirit... Oh, by the way, there's also the idea that Bill, he just feels the wind. He's just one with it. Like, there's something mystical about it. Oh. Look at the updraft. The angle. It's going to shift its track. Bullshit. It's it's so stupid when he, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you're addicted to, and, and like he's depicted as being addicted to it. Yeah, probably. I yeah. mean, a lot of those guys actually are. Yeah. And you, <clears throat> but yeah, we've, I think we've pretty much got the plot out of the way. That's yeah, because there like, is no deeper nothing. plot at this point. Yeah. Here's the thing. We know that certain things are going to happen. 
We know that the other team is going to lose, though. Wow, do they get a much more graphic fate than I thought they deserved. They do. God, yeah. It's like, it's like okay, Bill Paxton's team tries to warn them about the fact that, oh yeah, the courts are going, you're going to fucking die. And they're like, and maybe we should listen to him. And Kyrios goes, no, keep going, because they're douchebags. And then, and then fucking debris comes at them, and... Uh, it's not enough that they get sucked up into... Oh, God, no. Okay, no. This is the best part. It's like, okay. First of all, the driver of that car, the one who said maybe we should turn back, gets a fucking, like, beam right in the face. Like, he mm-hmm. pretty much gets decapitated, detorsoed, yeah. whatever, by this thing coming through the windshield. Then they get sucked up into a tornado. But then that's not enough. Then they fucking explode. <laughs> When they hit the ground. This is a very big case of overkill. <laughs> There's like, what? Why? Was that necessary? So many 90s movies saw fit to do that. To take characters who didn't deserve a bad fate and just brutalize them. Yeah, give them the worst fate. It's like, I uh... don't understand. It was unbelievable, and yeah, and of course they get their machine up into the tornado, and they have to sacrifice a truck to do it. So, yeah. Let's be clear, by the way, the characters at the end of this movie—they should be deader than dead. They should. They should be ripped to shreds by the winds. Okay, they're saved because they are—they strap themselves onto a metal pole. It was like a pipe. It was like a water pipe. Yeah. These things go at least 30 feet underground, so we should be safe. It's like, you're not fucking safe. What? No, no. It's like, you're going to die. Because, yeah. here's the thing. if you Even if you can't, number one, you can't breathe in a wind that strong. I thought about that. during. It's like, yeah, you're going to suffocate. Yeah, you're going to suffocate. Um, number two, you're going to be shredded by debris. Like, yes. tiny micro-pieces of debris are going to flay your skin. You, oh, and keep in mind, they're not wearing heavy armor. Hunt spends most of this movie walking around in a tank top. Because woman. Because woman, yes. Oh my <sighs> god, there's so much wrong with this movie. I mean, oh, and by the way, at the end of it, I'm going to point out a major deviation from the original script. The original script yeah. leaves the marriage kind of up in the air. There's kind of the idea that, well... They're going to work together professionally, and it's implied that they may be starting to mend their relationship, but 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 there's also that sense of maybe this marriage did end for a reason. I mean, the fiancé is still out of the picture anyway, but there is that implication that, well, maybe they're going to get there. You know, maybe they will, maybe they won't. It's, it's ambiguous. It ends with them making out as they're uh, surviving this. It's like, no, you should be experiencing PTSD reactions. Yes, you should. By the way, keep in mind that Hunt's character's father witnessed her father sucked up through a tornado. In reality, she should not actually be doing this job. Let's just get that out of the way. No. In reality, she should be wanting to be nowhere near tornadoes. She should be totally a desk job person. She should not be going and seeking out the thing that killed her father if it traumatized her so much because she talks about it all the time. Like, it's always pointed out, you want... She does, yeah. Because it's personal, which is such a 90s trope and such a stupid uh, trope. 
oh, it's not like the tornado personally killed your father, right? Right? It's like, fuck it. It's like, in reality, most storm chasers, like I would say 100% of them, do it because they're interested in it. Because it is interesting. Right. It's it's always depicted as very fun. I mean, it looks entertaining. Uh, as I said, I'm, I, I'm, I'm quite an aficionado of watching storm videos. Uh, and, you know, you watch these guys. You watch what they're doing. First of all, they're traveling around the country. They're, you know, they're getting out there and catching sight of these things. It does look like fun. Um, I will say, by the way, that with the exception of Hunt, most of the team does look like the kinds of guys that you actually see out there. Yeah, I would imagine. I can I can see the, uh, which I didn't know he was in this movie, but uh, Phil Seymour Hoffman, yeah. Let's not let him off the hook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see. So, yeah, they do tend to look more like Hoffman than Hunt. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah. But, I mean, the movie does, to some degree, at least capture the personality of these guys. You know, they very much are rednecks who are, you know, they're trained, they're intelligent, but they're guys that very much there is a certain adventure spirit to them. And, I mean, look, I, I love what the real guys do. I think it's amazing, and I think the work they do is vital. Uh, there's a common joke in the South that if you see one of their trucks, because they're always clearly marked, uh, in your town, you know, because they're very distinct, you know, a lot of these things are like battle wagons. You know, because they're specially made. They, you know, they have like pikes to drag to stick into the ground. I mean, they're really amazing. Uh, if you see one of these trucks in your town, you should be scared. That's what it comes down to is if you see one of them, get ready. It's not going to be good. Um, yeah, not because of them. <laughs> no, it's it's like if you see one of them, it's like, oh, something's going to happen. Yeah. By the way, that's another thing. They have a 100% success rate at finding storm at finding storms. In reality, if you did, if you were to actually follow these guys, you'd be having a good few days of them just, you know, following leads and not seeing anything. There's long periods where, you know, it's not 100% success for these guys. Um, because, you know, it predicting the weather is such an imprecise art. So much of it depends upon currents and last-minute things. But again, I, I could nitpick this movie's flaws all day long, and I kind of think I want to. But we have too many other ones to get to. Yeah, for for example, uh, a couple nights ago, uh, the night I was actually planning on watching this movie, but it fell through, uh, there was a big storm. And for about 20 minutes, well, as at work, I had no idea. Um, for about 20 minutes, there was a tornado warning, and then it just quickly fell off because oh, it was just a regular th uh, severe thunderstorm. Well, Arkansas was predicted for days to get uh, a major storm system uh, the last two days. Uh, Tuesday, it was overcast for most of the day, but it turned sunny at the end of the day. Wednesday, it was just perfectly sunny and clear and bright and beautiful. Uh, Amanda's dad came over and we set up the nursery, so, you know... Nice. So, I mean, I'm just saying, weather is an imprecise art. You can be dead to right certain that you know what's going to happen. And then sometimes you can get it just the opposite. Uh, that's how a lot of storms do pop up. But mm -hmm. the sad part is we're, we're criticizing the, mo the science in a 20-year-old movie. The thing is, it wasn't that much work. The science hasn't advanced that much in the last 20 years is the key. All right. It really hasn't. Uh, we have more technology, but we don't have a much more precise grasp. So this movie is still very right. easy to criticize, very easy to poke holes in. 
Uh, so let's talk about the tornado sequences themselves, because I really, really want to just tear into those. Yeah, the one that I'm thinking of specifically are is the first one, mm-hmm. where it's like the tornado comes right up to them, and they just they just walk it off. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, okay, I don't think that if a tornado like goes right up to you. That's not going to do some major damage. Like, the bridge that they're on kind of tears apart, but at the same time, it's still standing. <sighs> this this movie, I don't is, know. it has no grasp of reality. Uh, what's so irritating about this movie is that, okay, Armageddon, we've never had a major meteor strike like that. So that movie, even though that movie's science is absolutely farcical, there's still the measure to which... It's it's easy. To, it's it's a little bit removed from our reality. Again, the right. fact that this movie is depicting something that happens on an annual basis. I mean, this happens in every part of the country, or not in every part of the country, but it happens in a good portion of the country. It's common. Yeah, it, we know what these things look like. So the tornadoes in this movie look absolutely implausible by and large. <laughs> Very few of them look like real tornadoes. Real tornado footage, which again, YouTube is laden with. There is no absence of real tornado footage. Real tornadoes Mm -hmm. are very amorphous. They don't look like the ones in The Wizard of Oz. They're not clearly defined black clouds that, you know, are perfectly funnel. They're, They're weird shapes. Yeah, speaking of all the references to Wizard of Oz in this movie, God. Yeah, those got really old. And yes, the the movie is a, is apparently something that they very much make reference to in the actual communities. But God, they make so many references to it. To the point that it's just tired. It's like, oh, a Judy Garland movie, haha, I see what you're doing there. No. Fuck you. Yeah, no, it's just, it's so tired. But seriously, the real torn- the tornadoes in this movie, I just, they look silly. They don't look like real tornadoes. They don't act like real tornadoes. They, 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 they resemble, uh, okay, Joplin. Uh, we, we've made references to Joplin. I'm going to point something out, by the way, that is kind of horrifying. Uh, my brother and I could have been in Joplin that day. Uh, we, we actually... Uh, the weekend that that happened, we actually were considering either going up there the day before, or because that was the weekend that uh, I took a vacation with him, and we were either going to go up the Friday or the Sunday, and we decided ultimately that because it was on the way, it would be easier to go up the Friday. Had we gone on the Sunday, there is an outside chance we could have been in Joplin. Not great, I'd mm. say maybe like 10%, but we could have been there when that happened. Yeah, I seem to remember you saying that. But... The Joplin Tornado has been extensively detailed in video footage. There is comprehensive video footage of every step of that uh, event uh, because it struck a very populated area. It struck a very, very populated area. The storm basically went down the main street of town. There was a, a liquor store that I really, really love that was obliterated in May, and when I went in December, was completely rebuilt. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, things like that. But that's just the thing. It, it, it struck, there was a lot of security camera footage. There was a lot of external footage. This was not a small event that nobody knows about. 
Mm-hmm. So it's annoying to me to see, you know, this movie get these things wrong. What we see in this movie is cool. It's it's, but these are idealized tornadoes. These are Hollywood tornadoes. Yeah, these are the idealized dream version of tornadoes, and I get that to a certain degree. You have to take some license, but they look silly. I mean, the CGI. The CGI just has not aged very well on this movie. That's the thing. It is so cheap. Well, it's not cheap. That's the problem. It just doesn't look good. Because, I mean, this was an expensive movie. It just doesn't yeah. look good. I mean, again, pumping $90 million into this movie even now would seem like... Actually, now that would seem like a dramatic overinvestment. Because you can do a movie like this much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Much, much, much cheaper. Yeah, and it's like, to some degree, I get that 96 particle physics, as far as, like, computer effects went, weren't that to stuff. Like, it's really, it's much harder to do, like, particles, like water and... Yeah, because the water spouts really did not look good. Yeah. It's like, I get that. But, God, even as far as, like, I think I made the comment to you, oh, God, that CG, when the opening title comes up, it's like That's bad. the words come on the screen and then they like fly at you like the individual layers do. It's like, wow, that's really fucking bad CG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I will say this. The sequences are generally very well shot. As I said at the start of it, they're, they're, they look good. Uh, DeBont knows how to stage an action sequence. And I think to some degree yeah. I can get around the CGI to a certain degree. Because, you know, because they are well shot, they are well paced, they are well timed. I mean, it moves well. They're very kinetic sequences. And they do look good. And I understand why they are why they were effective. As I said, I just can't get over the fact that it's like, but I know what this really looks like. That's the problem. But yeah, I mean, they are well shot. Uh, he uses a night. He uses quick cutting right because it's you know it is a lot of speed cutting but it's but it's good it's not like it's not agonizing it's not michael bay hey i'm trying to blind you it's 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 there's some good pacing to it there is yeah i don't know i mean i'm just but here's the thing I'm, we're griping about this uh, there's so much else that i want to gripe about about this movie because I, again i ser- you mentioned the let's let's talk about the the whole romantic subplot because God, this is... We've touched on it a bit, but I'm really... I have to get on to that. Please do. Uh, let's see. Okay, first of all, his fiance is... His fiance is a pretty despicable character. Because first of all, like, she's a reproductive therapist. So, haha, she talks about sex. Yeah, that was stupid. Mm-hmm. At one point, she takes a phone call in the middle of a tornado. Yeah. <sighs> Wouldn't do that in reality. No. Like... Like, is she on... That's something I didn't... That the film doesn't quite make clear. It's like, is she just on call 24-7? Like, what's happening here? I don't know. And do therapists even fucking do that? I don't think they do. Especially not reproductive therapists. I mean, again, nothing about her character is real. She's established as weak and meek and, you know, all these things that Hunt's character isn't. So that we can never once believe that she's going to have any shot in this story. But by the end of it, you wind up feeling bad for her. Because it's like, well, 
my fiance, like we find out that she didn't know anything about her fiance's background. She didn't know anything about his days as a storm chaser. <sighs> oh God! And that line, that line, where she's just like, you know, when you used to tell me that you chased tornadoes, deep down I was just that was a metaphor. How is that a metaphor? It's not. There's no metaphor that matches that. In reality. I doubt he'd be able to stop talking about his days as a uh, storm chaser. I think he'd be talking about it nonstop. Because to him, it would be the coolest thing he'd ever done. I mean, it, it, no. It re besides, you don't get engaged to someone and not know what they used to do for a living. No shit, yeah. It's like, it's almost like the movie's suggesting that he completely changed personalities to be with her. It's like... That's not really how it works. Mm -hmm. Besides which, him <sighs> stopping... Besides which, I can't get past this. Okay, the whole idea that, ah, he's, you know, he's selling out to be a weather reporter. Uh, you know what weather reporters almost always wind up doing? Yes. Field work! Going out and chasing the fucking storms. The Weather Channel is laden with people who go out and cover field work. Why? Because that sends their ratings spiking. So... Oh, none of this movie makes sense. I, 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 no. You know, I want to point out, I saw this movie when I was 12, and I enjoyed it. I think that's the only way you can enjoy this movie. Yeah. But yeah, her whole character, so then at the end when she leaves him, it's supposed to be, well, the right thing has been done. I really wanted the movie to go forward and follow her on a phone call where she calls someone up, describes the events of the movie, and everything sounds much more twisted and dark. It's like... Yeah, it turns out that uh, I was married to a total liar, uh, a guy whose life I didn't understand. What was I thinking? By the way, I'm supposed to be giving people relationship advice. I think I need to quit my job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I clearly don't know anything about this. Is family dollar hiring? Because I think that might be what I'm more qualified for. God, this movie. I just love, I don't know, there's something that bothered me to my core about that character and how she was represented like just like really fucking clueless very about everything and it's like okay i get that i get that you know i get what they're going for like she doesn't fit into the dynamic of the group which honestly is fair and fine but it goes a step further beyond that like what makes her a sexist cliche is what it does it does yeah She's just a, a bad cliche, and, I mean, it's just, it's painful to watch this character. And by the way, let's take a moment to do a, a digression into, a into this entire trope of the disposable fiancé. Hollywood, don't ever do this again. Don't ever do this. Don't ever do this. It cannot work. It cannot end well. How many movies do I have to see where this is done? Okay, Titanic got away with it. Because it was more or less established that it was an arranged marriage and that she didn't want to do it and fought it every step of the way. Titanic was allowed to do it because it established that marrying for money was something that people had to do. Right. Also, Titanic is so much better of a movie than this one that it's not even fair. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I actually still like Titanic quite a bit because I've had to watch it multiple times due to Amanda. This movie is not anywhere near... Oh no! I'm I I got I got to even stop thinking about that one in comparison to this one. Although it's hard not to because uh, Bill Paxton is in both. True. 
Yeah. Uh, but this, this, but no, I mean, and I'm going to get to the actors in a moment, but this whole trope of the disposable fiance, off the top of my head, romantic comedies have it all the time. You've got Sleepless in Seattle, where the fiance is a perfectly nice guy. Uh, he's a charming, nice guy. There's nothing wrong with him. He's played by Bill Pullman, who kind of seemed to specialize in that trope to a certain degree. Uh, not that I can think of very many movies that he did in, but like that, like he always seemed to play like the dogged nice guy. Uh, he kind of plays that in While You Were Sleeping, except that he does wind up getting the girl, and yeah, he's gonna be. We're gonna be talking about him in Independence Day. Uh, I always liked him. I always thought he was an awesome actor who deserved better work than he got. So you've got you know the character there. You've got Sweet Home Alabama, where uh, Patrick Dempsey's character uh, gets dumped. And he just walks away and he's like, I'm okay with this. And in reality, he would be miserable. I mean, movie after movie after movie. Um, Spider-Man. Let's talk, you know, talk about movies that I actually like. Spider-Man 2 pulls this. And I'm not completely okay <sighs> with how it's done there. It's like... Yeah. People act, In these movies, people act as if engagements are something that people just do out of settling. No, no, no. Speaking of somebody who's gotten married, it doesn't work that way. But God, movie after movie after movie treats this. This is a bad cliche. It is a terrible cliche. I actually could not... I actually have a number of scripts that I've been unable to write for years because I couldn't get around to the fact that I that the plot seemed to necessitate this cliche and I couldn't get around it. Yeah, you told me about that one. Yeah, and I did, what I ultimately did was simple. I wrote... I didn't write... I, I wrote that scenario out of the script and found another way to write it. This is a bad trope, Hollywood, and it shows up in movie after movie. The acting in this movie, by the way, is okay, is I think the best way to put it. Because uh, these are good actors. Um, Hunt went on to win an Oscar within two years of this movie, and then proceeded to drop off the face of the planet. Yeah, that is the other thing. I do like Helen Hunt. She is great. Yeah, she's... I've always kind of... Uh, what wound up happening to her was, uh, after the Oscar, she wound up just taking a bunch of bad movies that wound up kind of sinking her career a bit. I've always thought that was unfair, because uh, she is a good actress. Uh, she's fine in here. Uh, Paxton was always kind of miscast as an action lead. He's always been much better at getting to do kind of the wacky, uh, out-there sidekick, side-character roles, uh, which he's back to doing. Uh, he did that in uh, Edge of Tomorrow where he's great. Uh, he does that to a certain very dark degree in uh, Nightcrawler, uh, where, he's, oh, yeah, where yeah. he's phenomenal there. Those are two awesome movies that I cannot recommend enough. I think they do mention that term in uh, in this movie, don't they, Nightcrawler? They might. They might. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a reference to the rival. It's like, who's this? Oh, he's a Nightcrawler. Yeah, I think they do. Um <sighs> Uh, the dialogue in this movie. Seriously, Whedon really co-wrote... Whedon really worked on the dialogue for this script? Really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> I mean, that's it. Uh, with the exception of Carrie Elways, who is atrocious in this, but, eh, frankly, let's call it what it is. His hit record isn't all that good anyway. No, it's really not. <laughs> like, I, lo I love the guy. Like, he... he pervades my childhood a lot, but, I mean, he took some very bad roles. By the way, he got to play the disposable fiancé the next year in Liar Liar. That's right, he did. 
as I said, I, I'm coming off very harsh on it, and it's because I feel that way about it. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. This movie has not aged well. This is not a movie from my childhood that I particularly look back on and go, yeah, I can, I can defend this. I can't. Uh, honestly, I was pretty much over it the second time I watched it. That's kind of a mark of how not very good it is. That, like, the second time that I saw it, I was like, yeah, I don't feel this as much as I used to. And that was when I watched it on video. And that's a sign that this movie, of course it wasn't going to have legs. I don't know. I mean, it it looks good for its time. Uh, as I said, the CGI is very... It's inaccurate. But, yeah, it's just... It, CGI is just not all that good uh, either. Um, I suppose it's good for its time, if I'm more honest. But... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. This, just, this is just not... This movie is an example. This is a very 90s movie is what it comes down to. This is a very yeah. 90s rock score soundtrack. Uh, uh-huh. You know, over the top. You know, all these cliches. As I said, the whole anti-corporate idea that's running through it. Mm-hmm. It's just a very 90s movie. And I think that's probably why it hasn't aged very well. Those are my thoughts on it. I don't know if there's that much else I have to say. Watching this movie kind of brought back a bunch of uh, just cultural memories of this film. You know, the cow and the fact that I don't know, this might be an unsubstantiated rumor because I was in middle school when this came out. There is a scene in a drive-in theater Mm -hmm. where they're playing The Shining, uh, where a tornado rips through the screen. Okay, I, I seem to remember a story where... That happened in real life with a with a drive-in theater that was playing well. Twister. It is an urban legend to a certain degree. Here's what actually happened: the theater was going to show it the next night. Uh, that night, they were going to show it, but it happened during the daytime. Ah, okay. Drive-in movies do not play during the daytime, for the record. Just to yeah. state the obvious. So that's what happened. Thank you for clearing that up because I, uh, I was hoping there was like something out there on that. Yeah, there's there is a grain of truth to it, but it's not a giant grain. I mean, it's 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 more than most of these stories, but yeah, that's what actually happened. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that was that was the big thing that came to mind. Otherwise, you know, <sighs> this movie would it get? Mm-hmm. One thing I do want to ask about is, do you think this movie would get made today? Well, natural disaster movie. Um, there were a lot of those in the nineties. Yeah, there? there were. This was the this was part of a big boom of those. Yeah, as far as like I don't know after news stories like the Joplin tornado, uh, I doubt this gets made in its in its form. Like it. Yeah, I th- uh, like in action movie for it it might be more of a drama yeah maybe a documentary i mean i I, like maybe a documentary like i feel like that's the thing that's that's what's that would be the better format for this is a documentary because you can actually get the real deal i mean i know you can't get the you can't get the exaggerated drama but actually follow some people through a a through a a cell actually follow people who are doing work like this that's what's more interesting to me than this. Um, now it was there was a found footage take on tornadoes a few years ago uh, into the storm, 
that was done fairly low budget, not a big budget, not a big deal of a film. That may be the closest to what you get. You don't get it. You don't get it on a on a ninety million dollar budget, even slightly. There's not enough of a hook yeah. there. Just tornadoes is not enough to sell people on a movie. I, I I feel like that disaster movie boom that we had in that age was kind of the last wave of it. Like it was kind of the last yeah. chance that people could really be all that impressed by these, because. I don't know, people, and, and we may we may see this proven wrong. These tend to go in 20-year uh, spates. Uh, San Andreas was a big grocer. Yeah, yeah. So, but I don't know. I don't know that this movie, I don't think it happens with this budget. I think it happens cheaper. Because I think it's easier to do cheaper now. I, I... Yeah, now. <laughs> Another tidbit that I seem to remember from 20 years ago. Uh, the, the unique sound of the tornado... In the tornadoes in this film, the signifier that shit's about to go down, uh, is actually like a slowed down lion's roar, if I, I remember right. I think it is something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. It's it's some it's it's a terrifying sound that's been slowed way down and sort of been put through some uh processors. Yeah. I think it's something like that, yeah. Um To tell you the truth, that was probably the one of the more effective parts of the movie because that was pretty terrifying. Yeah, it was. I mean... Yeah. I watched it in surround sound. And it... Yeah. I just... I understand why this movie hasn't lasted. I, I just... I really do. Uh, you know, okay, we're, again, we're going to be covering Independence Day. It's going to be interesting to study the differences there. For one thing, the special effects on that still look absolutely fantastic. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, there's just... This is just such a non-entity of a movie, and it's bizarre to think that it was such a big grocer. I mean, and it, another thing, this movie stayed in theaters for like three months. You don't see that anymore. No, you really don't. In three months, it's on video now. Yeah. I just... This this one would not... It wouldn't have had... Like, what's bizarre about it is that kind of leg suggests that, the, that there was strong word of mouth. Which, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back on it. I didn't see it opening weekend. I did see it uh, a couple weeks into its run. Uh, but again, I was a kid. I didn't exactly have control over when I went to the movies. So, I don't know. Yeah. My, my, yeah. my final thoughts on this movie are, it's pretty much forgotten. I'm not losing any sleep. Yeah. I'm not losing any sleep over that fact. It's like, yeah. And it's like all the memories I have of this film just stick to that one specific time and go no further. Unlike some films, like, say, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where I have, like, several memories over time of of the film. You know what I think it ultimately comes back to on this one is I think I could overlook the, the tornado sequences. I could overlook the problems with them because, again, they are well shot, they are well edited, they are well composed, and I could overlook the special effects if there had been a decent script behind any of this like i could overlook it if i cared about the characters if i had any investment in this film i could overlook these problems exactly but we don't have any investment in it it is just a demo reel for effects yeah which frankly aren't that great and that's the problem okay jurassic park is a prime example of what you're supposed to do because we care about the characters we're interested in the characters it's a long time before we ever see a dinosaur, but we're already caught up in the characters because they're so specific and distinct. They pop. Mm-hmm. They feel like people. 
there's none of that here. And you know, for for contrast, here you you also mentioned before the cast that uh, the beginning of this film, the opening sequence is pretty much welded on, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, boom, tornado. It's like, well, can't you just wait until? And I think and I think the producers of the movie might have sensed that, yeah, this isn't compelling enough to start off, so let's just put a twister at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, I mean, that sequence is very welded on. None of the actors in that sequence show up in the rest of the film, for example. I mean, that's a big sign that that sequence was just added on at the last minute. I mean, they were reshooting this thing really and truly up until just before they had to get the print locked. And that's not a problem. Movies often have to do that. But it's not a good sign for this film. Blug. That's my reaction to this film. Blug. If you if you want to see an interesting depiction of tornadoes, go on YouTube. Type in Joplin Tornado and look up the footage. Yeah. Oh, God. Look up. There are, like, Google Street View side-by-side comparisons before and after uh, before and after and it is that's the image that sticks in my mind because it is devastating like it is unrecognizable it is amazing I mean this is a sub you know that's another thing I feel like this movie doesn't treat what's going on with enough gravity no it's like it's so concerned about this whole you know we gotta get this you know we gotta beat this other team and try and do this system it's like there are people dying in this and it has that one scene where they drive through the town and it's like, oh, wow, all the damage this has ripped apart. Otherwise, there's no sense of, wow, there's some gravity to this. No, and f- and frankly, I don't know if we mentioned it, but there's not enough damage in that sequence. No, there's not. Okay, that's the thing. There's not enough damage. Um, As I said, I've driven through towns that are wiped off the face of the planet. There is, Mm -hmm. like, if you're from Arkansas and you drive through Mayflower, you know, anybody who's listening to this who remembers that uh, stretch of interstate, it's it's devastation. It's devastation. Towns are, you know, I, as I said, I went to Joplin about six months after the tornado. There are, there were parts of that town that were just crushed, just gone. And I flattened, flattened. Uh, so that's the big problem that this movie has. It doesn't convey enough. And okay, true, movies like Independence Day uh, and Armageddon don't really convey the scope of the death and all that. You know, one of the thing about those is they're depicting things that are fantastical. There's not going to be alien invasions in real life. Gotta break it to you. The science says that's not happening. There's not going yeah. to be, you know, the odds of a meteor strike are fairly limited. It just, the odds of a tornado touching down and doing serious damage to a town are one to one this year. It's going to happen. It always happens. Okay, maybe it, it may not happen quite with the same intensity this year, but it happens. Right. People die in these and if this movie had had just even a scintilla the only sense of death that we get is the one at the beginning and that's just used for shock value to make it personal that's what i find kind of annoying one other thing one other thing i know it's it's a small niggly point but it's like you know this has the 
Well, I hate to, I hate to I hate to name something after a nostalgia critic, but he was right. The boomer the boomer yeah. uh, effect is in place. Yep, the dog survives. The go- yeah, the boomer will live. And uh That's funny. He's one niggly point about that, it's like what fucking family even in a tornado leaves the dog behind? Dogs have I we always took we always took our pets down to the basement. Come on. I know. Uh but anyway, that's the last that's the last point I have. So Yeah, you can find this at the source of the cast at uh thefilmer.podbean.com. Uh you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh usually comes out the day after there. And rate and review us there, as always. Yeah, you can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. We encourage that. You can find us on our Twitters. Austin is at Untitled User. I am at PrimitiveManPRD. And the cast as a whole is at Filmroomcast. And, of course, Harold Ragsdale. You can find him at Cybergun Films. Yeah, you can find this on our Facebook uh, facebook.com slash the film room we have almost 800 likes on there which is impressive i am so happy with how the facebook page is doing you can find us on our side blog of course uh, a lot of stuff going on there the film room lobby.wordpress.com and of course last but not least last but never least the patreon mm-hmm. yeah we thank you guys for your continued support it is very much appreciated. Like it's it's great not to have to worry about you know the cost of running the pod bean. It really is. Um, yeah, and not not having to worry about space. That is that has been continuously so wonderful. It's it it is, and we and we really want to do some fun stuff with it. Um, the mini sods are very much intended as something to be fun, something for us to do with it. Um, so yeah, we hope y'all are enjoying it. Thank, thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Daisy. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Sean from Notoli. And thank you, Nathan. Patreon.com slash the filmer. Till then, y'all. Later. Till then. Bye bye.